please take your Bibles and go to John's Gospel, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and that black Bible in the chair in front of you, go towards the back, and you'll find page 75. Page 75. Look for page 75 in that black Bible. Do you hear that? It's like mice or birds. Uh, John chapter 6, page 75 in that black Bible. John chapter 6. And uh, we're going to study the first 15 verses. We'll embark on this journey, which should take us to, excuse me, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the end of June, uh, chapter 6. Oh, excuse me, there'll be one more week in chapter 6, and um, the first Sunday of July. Uh, it's just, it's a long chapter, one of the longest chapters in John. Uh, it's so momentous, though. Probably one of my favorite chapters in John's gospel is John 6. Uh, but today we'll do verses 1 through 15, a passage you're very much familiar with, the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, of Tiberias, and a great crowd was following him because they saw the signs which he was doing upon those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. <clears throat> And the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii bread is not enough for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but, but what are these for so many? Uh, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Therefore Jesus took the loaves and give you thanks. He distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, fish as much as they desired. Verse 12, and when they were Fully satisfied, he said to the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who ate. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had done, they said, This truly is the prophet who comes into the world. Therefore, Jesus, knowing that they were intending to take him, Making him king, withdrew again to the mountain himself alone. Isn't it interesting <clears throat> that when we get so full from a huge, massive, yummy meal, like a dinner or a lunch, we end up being hungry again? Isn't that weird? I mean, then at the moment, you're like, oh, I can't eat another bite, right? Oh, I could be able to eat for a week. That's kind of the words, the verbiage that we use. And it's just hyperbole, right? But it, it, at the moment, it's hard to imagine. You just filled your butt, belly, you're going to end up emptying it. <laughs> it's going to empty itself, and you're going to need, you're going to want more. 
a juicy hamburger at Colt Grill. Mm. 30 individual rolls of sushi. Tamales from Vicente. Viva la Vicente. Steak and lobster. Mm. Chocolate cake. Where's Susanna? A huge burrito. A snack. Mommy, give me a snack. Cheesecake, Carolyn's favorite. She's crying for you. So that's what we think about, that's what happens when you have this yummy meal and yet we have to get filled up again. Imagine though being full never to eat again. Imagine being so filled that you're forever satisfied. That's the message of our passage and and really you're going to see the message not from these 15 verses but really the driving force of this whole chapter in chapter 6. And today, as, as we continue on in John's gospel, come receive Jesus, come believe Jesus, know Jesus. Here we'll see these 15 verses. Come be fully filled with Jesus. Come be fully filled with Jesus. Come be fully filled with Jesus who will satisfy all the needs that are according to God's plan and purposes, not according to our selfish ends. And I'm going to present to you a contrast which you'll see unfold as well within the chapter between what we think we need and what God says we need. That's why I wrote down, according to God's plan and purposes, not according to our selfish ends, because we think we have needs, but maybe God doesn't think you have, you need that need. You ever thought about that? Come be fully filled with Jesus who will satisfy all the needs that are according to God's plan and purposes, not according to your selfish ends. There's another way to say it. Come, and Jesus will satisfy you, meeting all the needs that God has determined to be your true needs, not what you think. You may think these are your needs. You may think, God, you need to do this, and he doesn't do it. Because he doesn't think that's what you need. He actually thinks you really need this. You'll see this unfold from these 15 verses and really, as I said, from the whole chapter. Come, Jesus will satisfy you, meeting all the needs that God has determined to be your needs. Uh, Some other ways to say this, we're gonna just unfold the passage before us, uh, because Jesus is the true bread from heaven, the true Passover lamb, and the magnanimous giver, we will be totally satisfied. And once we get this right, the only right response is to humbly trust him, love him, worship him, desire him. 
this is who Jesus is. And it shouldn't matter to us. It shouldn't matter to us. You see here, Jesus showed his identity, not just by his words, but by his deed, the sign of feeding thousands of people. And in providing food, he showed he is humanity's true food and God's kind, magnanimous hospitality. In his son, the Lord Jesus, God provides true food that satisfies the world. He is the living display. Jesus is the living display of God's magnanimous hospitality. So lost in our hunger, only Jesus can fully satisfy every desire. Only Jesus can satisfy every desire. This is the only sign, miracle, that is in all four Gospels. So every Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them have this. But this is the only Gospel here in John that connects Moses and Passover to Jesus from the feeding of the 5,000. And, and, and Jesus' physical provision, it connects it to himself as God's provision for us. You'll see that unfold. So let's start with how the people are described. And I describe the people like this. They are scant people or lacking people, needy people. Verse 1 and 2. After these things, after chapter 5, which could be a short, long period of time, John doesn't tell us. Because after this, he went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee of Tiberias. And look at this. A huge crowd followed him. Why? Because they were seeing the signs he was doing. Immediately, this displays the shallow, superficial, lacking nature of these followers. It's an important point to remember once we come to the later verses of this chapter. So make a note of that. They followed him not because they understood who he was, but because they saw the signs he was doing. Well, actually, they understood who he was, in a sense, but they wanted to apply it to their own benefit. You'll see that. Uh, this needy people, uh, they didn't understand their true need, which was Jesus. They didn't understand that. They were lacking in that scant people. And this is the danger for us. Wanting or following Jesus insofar that he will give us what we want. They followed Jesus, but it was a shallow following. They did not know what they truly lacked. But now, what unfolds for us is Jesus' identity. Remember, he's going to tell us who Jesus is and why it should matter to you. Jesus knows he's the true bread. Look at verse 3. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Wait, what? How does that show he's the true bread? He went up on a mountain. He sat down. He didn't say anything about him being the true bread. Why is, why is this described that Jesus is the true bread? 
ah, this is important. This is what John is doing for his readers. This is what he's doing for us. Notice, John intentionally mirrored the scene at Mount Sinai with Moses who provided manna for the nation of Israel. He intentionally did this. Moses on Mount Sinai, Moses from the mountain, and Jesus now up on the mountain, and Jesus is going to provide. He's intentionally doing this. Well, it wasn't actually Moses who provided the manna. It was actually the Father who provided the manna. You see that in Exodus chapter 16. Yahweh will provide manna for you. But the people thought it was Moses who did it. That was their problem. One of their problems, at least. So he's, he's connecting already Jesus as the true bread or as the antitype of Moses. Notice also Jesus, the true Passover lamb, look at verse four. And the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Why is he saying this? Well, what's Passover? It involved eating a lamb and bread. To celebrate what? The exodus from Egypt. That's why they did Passover. They would eat the lamb, but they would also eat bread to celebrate that God delivered his people. Back in the book of Exodus. So Jesus is the true manna from heaven and the true Passover lamb. John's already telling you this right off the bat. He's intentionally doing, making this connection for you. He's giving you the historical backdrop to what he's going to unfold for us here. The historical backdrop for Jesus' sign on feeding thousands of people. That's what he's doing. You with me? So he brings these two aspects to focus on Christ. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who died for us. Manna is a type of the real bread of life. It's Jesus. We are redeemed from the slavery of sin and destruction. Eternal life is given only to those who eat Jesus. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. You'll see that later on in the chapter. Now, for the Jews, for the people, in Jesus' day, Passover was a specific feast to rally the people towards nationalistic zeal. Some people, uh, even in our own country, they use a specific holiday to, to rally towards nationalism. We're not, not saying it's a bad thing, but for the Jews, it was a thing where it was a nationalistic zeal that Messiah would come and deliver them from Rome's tyranny. Hmm, that's going to come up in a few verses later, isn't it? So here's, here's these scant people and it shows Jesus the true bread, Jesus the Passover lamb, and then you get this little of the disciples, which I described it like this, skeptical disciples. It has to start with an S. I mean, pastors, they gotta do stuff like that, right? I mean, if good preachers do that. You know, you're not a good preacher if you can do stuff like this. Everybody knows that. Right, Mike? Skeptical disciples, look at verse five. Therefore Jesus lifted up his eyes 
See, the great crowd was coming to him. This takes us back to chapter four, verse 35, when Jesus exhorted his disciples to lift up their eyes and see the harvest. Jesus saw the needs of the people before him. They truly needed him to satisfy them. He said to Philip, where, where do we buy bread for these may, that these may eat? We're going to get this bread. So Jesus presented a challenging question to his disciples. Would they make the connection that he's the true manna? Would they make the connection to the disciples that he's the Passover lamb? <laughs> no. Went over their heads. Uh, no, no, notice, John tells us this, verse six. And this he was saying to test him for he knew, he himself knew what he was intending to do. Jesus was merely testing his disciples to see how much they trusted him and banked on him being their true satisfaction. Mm. Challenging his own disciples. He knew the whole time what he was going to do. Knew the whole time. Verse 7, Philip answered, 200 denarii of bread is not enough for them, for everyone to receive a little. Uh, 200 denarii is about six to eight months of a year's wage in that time to feed all these people. And even at that, they'd only get a little bit. So as far as he was concerned, there's no way it could be done. Oh, how quickly we forget the gracious power of God. Oh, how quickly you and I forget the gracious power of God. Andrew spoke up, speaking on his own. He noticed, maybe found, Simon Peter's brother. A lad here has five barley loaves, two fish. Five loaves, cheap bread. With a couple of fish, enough food for animals, like scraps. But what are these for so many, he says. Uh, by the way, the fish are probably pickle fish, maybe, to be eaten as a side dish. You kind of dip the bread in. So, so did you notice the responses from Philip and Andrew? They were rebuking Jesus. Man, our teacher's so generous, but he's so naive. Here's this large, hungry crowd who's left at Jesus' feet to fully satisfy, which he would, heartily, bountifully, and miraculously. Because notice, you see, Jesus now, who he is, the magnanimous giver, the generous, kind giver. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. He graciously ignored their rebuke. Have the people sit down. Command the people sit down. And you know this well from verse 10, there's much grass. Men sat down, number about 5,000. So this excluded women and children, you know this. So you're talking 10,000 if, if everyone was married, if they had at least two kids, so it's like 20,000. What if they had four kids, six kids? I mean, you're talking 23, who knows? I mean, it could be thousands, thousands of people there. Look at verse 11. Therefore, Jesus took the loaves, giving thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. This, a meal was about to be consumed. 
notice the verbs, received it, prayer of thanks, distributed the food. But notice what it says here. What John does for us, Jesus himself was the one distributing the bread. You see that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not have that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they, that Jesus gives to the disciples, which he gives to the people. Here, John shows, he's intentionally saying, it was Jesus himself who did it. And notice, also of the fish, as much as they desired. John's point was to highlight who Jesus is and that they ate as much as they wanted. This went from a tiny childlike lunch to a full-blown, lavish banquet that was completely satisfying, fully fulfilling, because Jesus is the magnanimous, hospitable host who generously offers himself. There's a deeper meaning to this that Jesus was hoping his disciples would understand. That Jesus was wanting the people to understand as well. I mean, the the manna in the wilderness. It's like saltine crackers. Ew. Who likes saltine crackers? When compared to this feast. And so the magnanimous giver who gives life, fully satisfies us to our true heart's content according to God's determined purposes and ends, which is, our, which is according to our true needs. That's what he does. And, and notice, again, as much as they desired, so he's just giving it. Here's Jesus. He's the one distributing this food, miraculously uh, bringing more and more food miraculously creating more and more food from his very hands. So then, of course, what happens? The true bread, the Passover, true Passover lamb, he's a magnanimous giver. Jesus, the total satisfier. Look at verse 12. And when they were filled, fully filled, fully satisfied. That's what the word means. Because when Jesus, the magnanimous, hospitable host provides, you come away with a full tummy and very happy. When they were fully filled, Jesus said to the disciples, gather up the leftovers that nothing may be lost. Why is this emphasized? And and you see, um, Verse 13, they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves that were left over by those who ate. Why, 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 why is this emphasized? To show, to show Jesus fully supplies, there is no want. See, there's a deeper meaning behind this that Jesus is trying to convey. And John, the evangelist, is trying to convey that through this sign that Jesus did. That Jesus is saying, I fully supply. There, there's no lack in me. There's no want. He provided a huge, abundant, rich, lavish, plentiful meal, 12 baskets, and underscores Jesus' magnanimous provision and how he truly satisfied the crowd. 
how we will truly satisfy his people is to prove that God provides a bounty that is bountiful. Jesus is truly all that we need. The food pointing to a deeper meaning. The bread, the wine, remember the wine from chapter two, it points to deeper meaning. Because they're great. Jesus is going to give us wine. Awesome, let's drink to Jesus. No, that's not the point. You missed it. He's the one that satisfies you. He's the one that brings you joy. He's the one that brings satisfaction. That's what's behind this. Here's Jesus, the true bread, true Passover lamb, magnanimous giver, skeptical disciples, totally satisfying, and then you see these people, self Seeking people. Look at what happens in verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he did, which he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who comes into the world. Now, this goes back to Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Moses gave a prophetic prediction of the prophet would come. Now at the time in the first century here not all interpreted that passage in Deuteronomy 18 uh, to mean Messiah but it, it, it prompted them most likely to remember Moses' role in the wilderness in the desert of providing manna. So, so here you have whether it's, it's about the prophet or they're connected with Moses Really, they were right about Jesus. He was the prophet who was to come. Uh, he was, is, the antitype to Moses. Moses is the type of Christ. So here's Moses, who he was. It, it points us to Jesus. Jesus is what's called the antitype. Moses is the type. So Moses points us to Jesus, who Jesus is going to be like. So it's true. The prophet, yeah, is fulfilled in Jesus. It's, they're They're right but they applied his identity to their own, as one writer put it, quote, God-confused dreams and priorities, end quote. They applied it to their own God-confused dreams, to their own priorities, self-seeking people. He'd fulfill their agendas now. Oh, yeah not the Father's agenda. Their focus was food and a forceful feat. Not on Jesus as the true God-man. Not on His hour on the cross. Not on eating, assimilating Him into your life. And not on the fulfillment of the Father's plan for their true need, which was Jesus. They missed it. And you see the action from verse 15. Therefore, Jesus, knowing that they were intending to take him, making him king, 
for them, Jesus was the warrior prophet king who would destroy the Romans, giving Israel political dominance over the world. That's what they wanted. He saw that. He knew that. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. He rebuked this distortion of God's plan and withdrew back to the mountain himself alone. Maybe to pray, John doesn't tell us. I mean, these last two verses give us a window as to the people's thinking and their poor, wrong application of truth. They saw Jesus' signs and he fed them a feast. For sure, he was capable to be the powerful liberator for, for which Israel longed, but that was not the Father's will. Ah, but they were more than willing to force the issue by making him king, creating a rebellion, and taking a stand against the rule of Rome with Jesus as their ruler. This was their will for him. This is what they thought was their true need. Not to mention the fact, he's our warrior king, he's going to give us food. All right. He's going to kill the Romans and we're going to eat all the time. What's better than that? No. But he would continue to do the will of the Father. Jesus would not be driven or influenced by the will of humans. No way. He did not come to judge the world, but to save the world by dying and rising from the dead. This is the essence of the gospel. This is our true need. God's a just God. We're sinners. Jesus lived and died. He rose. We must repent and believe. Repent today and come to Christ if you don't know him. You should respond to Jesus. He will satisfy you. This is the essence of the gospel. He came to save the world by dying and rising from the dead. So, we trust God to fulfill the needs that He is determined to be our needs, not what we think He should fulfill. This is humbling. God's magnanimous hospitality fulfills His plan and is, is for our own satisfaction. He doesn't give to us to fulfill our plans for our self-seeking satisfaction. He gives what we truly need not what we think we need. And sometimes those coincide. Many times they don't, do they? See, God is not a pawn to fulfill our self-seeking, God-confused, idolatrous dreams. God knows our felt needs. He knows that. And adequately provides for us to show He knows all our needs and He'll provide. You know, it's even amazing that God would give us anything. It's amazing that God would give anything to us given our self-seeking, egotistical, self-focused demands and dreams. One writer, he says this, quote, it is even more remarkable that the creator has been shunned every moment in human history since its inception and yet would come, all the while receiving in the flesh the rebukes 
of their sinfulness. End quote. That's a great statement. Yes, God loves the world. God is a magnanimous giver of his love and grace because the greatest display of his generous hospitality is the person of Jesus. It's him. This king prophet, he didn't come to be served. Instead, he served food to thousands to show that the ultimate service is himself. And he publicly declared himself to be the gift to humans by giving himself upon the cross. That's the kind of king. It's this king, not the king of our own selfish ends, not the king of our own dreams and desires. No, it's this king we should worship, love, and serve. It's that one, not this one. And it's this kind of generous hospitality we should show to each other as a church. We should be known as people who display the same kind of hospitality and love and grace to each other. That's why Jesus says, just as I have loved you, that's how you should love each other within the body. Because Jesus is the true bread from heaven, the true Passover lamb, and the magnanimous giver, we will be totally satisfied. <clears throat> Once we get this right, the only right response is to humbly trust him. Because remember, we come and Jesus will satisfy you meeting all the needs that God has determined to be your true needs, not what you think you need. And sometimes those coincide. Many times they don't. What kind of things happen in your life where, God, I need you to do this? He doesn't do it. I need this to happen. It doesn't happen. I need this to take place. It doesn't take place. Because he doesn't speak these words, but when that does not happen, he is basically saying, no, this is what you need. You need me. You need to trust me. If I had a dime every time that happened to me, I'd give every single one of you 100,000 bucks right now. I know it doesn't happen to you. Come, be fully filled with Jesus who will satisfy all the needs that are according to God's plan and purposes, not according to our selfish ends. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we take this time to pray, not just because it's the end of the sermon, but we've heard from your word and we need your grace to help us trust in your grace. We need your grace to help us remember we must be satisfied with you, to be fully filled with you, Jesus, according to your plan for us, according to your purposes, not our selfish, self-seeking ends like these people.
work in us as a church, we pray. And thank you, Jesus. We thank you that when we fall short, that's why you had to die. There's so many times in our lives where we do not find our contentment in you and that you're gracious to us and you forgive us. So we come before you with humility. Change us to be a people that are fully filled with you. You'll be our all. You'll be our joy. Do that in us, we pray. And I ask, I encourage you to take these next few moments where we do our time of silence where you can spend some time between you and the Lord. To fill your mind with his truth and be so grateful for his grace to you and renew once again that your satisfaction must be found in him. To renew once again your love for him and remind yourself once again of his love for you in the gospel. So take these few moments, please, if you would, to reflect Reflect and ponder on the truth of God. Do that now, please.